Lord, we are uh, thankful for the privilege of being here. Lord, we take uh, our worship, our freedom of worship for granted so often. And so, Lord, we are, we are so blessed, uh, blessed to enjoy another day uh, that's a gift from you, uh, blessed with sunshine and warmth and the first day of spring. Lord, blessed with health to be able to be here. Lord, blessed with a, a church family. Lord, we are blessed so much that you sent your son Jesus to go to the cross. Worthy is the lamb that was slain so that we could receive the gift of eternal life. And Lord, today we're just here to say uh, thank you for that and that we love you. And we pray that you would uh, just now open up our hearts and minds to uh, what you have for us today in your word. And we realize that we're not here by accident, but by your divine arrangement. And so may we be, um, like the words of Scripture, uh, uh, like Samuel said, speak, Lord, for your, your servant is listening. And we pray that your spirit would uh, take your word and use it today uh, in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> well, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Joshua. And uh, we've been in Joshua for about six or seven weeks. Um, I've been there so much, uh, my Bible kind of automatically falls open to Joshua. <laughs> uh, but we're looking at this uh, book of Joshua. The theme is conquering. And uh, it's a book of history. And here are the Israelites. And finally, they're coming into the uh, promised land, Canaan, that God promised to them. Remember the Abrahamic covenant. It wasn't just that all the world would be blessed through Abraham's line, but part of the covenant was that God gave to Israel land. Now, 40 years earlier, God wanted them to go in and conquer the land. And you remember the story about the spies, and 10 said, we're not going, and 2, Joshua and Caleb said, let's go claim God's promises. And because of unbelief, they didn't, they didn't go into the land. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, a whole generation of Israelites died off, everybody 20 years and older. And now here we are in the book of Joshua. Moses has died. There's a new leader. His name is Joshua. And the nation is on the edge of the Jordan River, ready to finally claim what God had promised to them. The only problem is the Jordan River is at flood stage. And as we know the story, God does a miracle, parts the Jordan River, Two million Israelites cross through on dry ground and they finally set foot in the land of Canaan. And then uh, as we've looked at the book of Joshua, they were set, spent some time at Gilgal <clears throat> and four significant things uh, happened at Gilgal, if you remember. Number one, uh, the males were circumcised. Number two, they observed the Passover for the first time in probably 40 years. Number three, the manna that God had provided for them every day stopped because now they were in the land and could eat off the fruit of the land. And then number four, Joshua had a personal encounter, a Christophany, where it's a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. And Joshua looked at this man, he had a sword drawn, and the man identified himself as the commander of Yahweh's army. It was Jesus himself. He told Joshua, take off your shoes because you're on holy ground. And, and Jesus spoke some words of encouragement into Joshua. That gave them the courage then to conquer Jericho. We looked at the, the story of Jericho. 
Uh, next was the, the battle of AI, and remember that they got a little overconfident, and they suffered a defeat at AI, and it was because of one man's sin. Uh, the man Achan, who had, had taken some spoils from Jericho when God said, no, everything's devoted to me. And Achan confesses his sin. His entire family is killed. And now we have AI 2.0 that we looked at uh, last week. And now uh, the Israelites go in and they conquer AI and Bethel. And uh, that brings us to Joshua chapter 9. And that's where we're going to pick up the story. This one's called The Danger of Deception. The Danger of Deception. We won't ask for a show of hands, but if I asked you this morning, have you ever been tricked or deceived? <laughs> All of us could probably tell a story where either um, in a relationship, maybe a financial transaction, maybe we listened to some advertising and we bought a product and it's like, this is not what I thought it was going to be. I got, I got, I got hooked. I got tricked on on this. Uh, it's not a good feeling to be deceived. I remember the story of a couple from our uh, previous church, and uh, Joe and Barb. They were from uh, Barb was from Birmingham, Alabama. Joe was from Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, he was a pilot with Northwest Airlines, and they got a transfer up to Detroit where he was uh, flying for the airlines, and they ended up uh, part of our previous church ministry. And um, so they're looking for a home in Chelsea, and um, they buy their home. And I remember Barb uh, coming to me a couple months after they bought the home, and she was not a happy camper because they bought a home that was very close to a... Um, Minimum security prison called Cassidy Lake. And uh, with Joe's travel schedule, she here was a young um, wife with a young child. And um, she's like, we asked about that. And the realtor said, oh, that's just some sort of camp or something. <laughs> and found out it's a prison. <laughs> and and, and uh, they felt like tricked or deceived. We've all been there at some point in our life, and, and we're going to look at a story from Joshua chapter 9 that has to do with uh, deception, and the title in my Bible is the Gibeonite Deception. So the Gibeonites were part of the land of Canaan. They were part of the group of people called the Hivites, part of the people that God said, I want you to completely destroy. And uh, we're going to look at uh, the deception of the Gibeonites. As I've been watching the news in the last uh, few weeks, um, a couple weeks ago, I heard a commentator make this comment, and he said, the first casualty of war is the truth. The first casualty of war is the truth. We, we see that today, don't we, in, in what's going on in Russia and Ukraine, and um, somehow the truth gets lost. Uh, I'm so thankful that we have free press in the United States of America. And so uh, the first casualty of war is the truth. Well, we're going to see some truth that gets lost here in, in Joshua chapter 9. So let's look at the outline. And uh, first of all, we're going to discover uh, the coalition against the Israelites, beginning in verse 1. Now, when all the kings west of the Jordan heard about these things, what things? Well, uh, the Israelites... 
they heard about this from their perspective, an invading force of two million people. And about the, the battle at Jericho and how the battle of Ai and the cities were getting conquered and, and they, they're hearing about this and so they take some action. Uh, it lists six different, um, groups here. The Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Verse two, they came together to wage war against Joshua and Israel. So what do they do in battle time? There's an invading force and they say, okay, we need uh, some help from those around us and we're going to come together against Joshua and the Israelites. They form a coalition of six kings, six city-states to fight Joshua and uh, the Israelites. Uh, very similar to the news that we've been hearing today, again, because of what's going on on the other side of the world, we've heard a lot about NATO, haven't we? And that's uh, the North American uh, Treaty Organization, formed after uh, World War II, uh, comprised of 30 countries, 28 European countries, two North American countries, the United States and Canada. Article 5 of the NATO Treaty says an attack against one country is attack against all 30 countries. So that should give somebody pause before they might attack a NATO country because you're not just attacking one, you're attacking 30 countries. Well, that's kind of the principle that's that's here in Joshua chapter 9. They form this coalition uh, against the Israelites. Well, let's look at the covert plan of the Gibeonites, the covert or secret plan of the Gibeonites. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, we won't go there, but the Israelites were forbidden to make any treaties with these surrounding people that were in Canaan. And God said, don't make any treaties with them. Don't don't make any uh, uh, promises with them. I want you to totally destroy all these people. And that was their charge. And so here's what happened. Verse 3, when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they resorted to a ruse. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn out sacks and old wineskins cracked and mended. They put worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes. All the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. And so they put some thought into what the, this trickery, this deception. It says, Then they went to Joshua in the camp of Gilgal and said to him and the Israelites, We have come from a distant country. Please make a treaty with us. The Israelites said to the Hivites, But perhaps you live near us. They were skeptical. So how can we make a treaty with you? Because they were forbidden to do that. We are your servants, they said to Joshua. Now Joshua asks the right questions here. But Joshua asked, who are you and where do you come from? Now here's the deception and the lies, and there's there's four of them. Here we go, because uh, the country or the city that they they came from uh, Gibeon was really about 20 miles from Gilgal, where the Israelites were. So they were they were 20, 25 miles away. Uh, where have you come from? Verse 9, your servants have come from a very distant country. We've come from far, far away. 
No, lie number one, you've come from 20 miles away. We have heard reports of him and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites on the west east of the Jordan, Sihon, king of Heshbon, Og, king of Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth. And our elders and all those living in our country said, take provisions for your journey. Go and meet them and say to them, we are your servants, make a treaty with us. This bread of ours was warm when we packed it at home on the day we left to come to you, but now we see it dry and moldy. So look at our bread. It's all moldy. This this was fresh bread when we left. No, no, probably would have taken them maybe a day to walk 20 miles. You can walk 20 miles in a day if you keep a, a good pace. Uh, so lie number two, you know, this, this bread was, was fresh when we, when we left. Lie number three. Uh, and these wineskins that we filled were new, but see how cracked they are. And our clothes and sandals are worn out by the very long journey. So they had all this evidence that we've come from far, far away in trying to trick, deceive Joshua and the leaders to make, what, a treaty with them. And so that was the the secret plan and uh, the deception of the Gibeonites, and they had some some evidence for those last uh, three uh, things. They had the moldy bread, and they had the cracked wineskins, and they had the rat, uh, tattered clothes and things that they wore, and they said, see, we've come from a long distance. And so here they want to make a treaty. They say, we're your servants, and uh, now we look at, and this is really the key verse, the costly error of the Israelites. Verse 14, I underlined it in my Bible. The Israelites sampled their provisions. I mean, they, they maybe they ate some of the moldy bread and, and they began to examine, you know, their, their clothing and their wineskins. But they did not inquire of the Lord. They, they looked at the evidence, but they didn't ask God for guidance. And so what happened? Uh, the covenant with the Gibeonites. Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live, and the leaders of the assembly ratified it by an oath. And so Joshua and the leaders looked at the evidence, and they said, okay, we're going to make this treaty with you. We're going to, we're going to confirm that treaty with this oath, and uh, we now will be in a kind of a partnership, the Gibeonites and the Israelites wasn't long after that they found out that they had been had. They had been tricked, deceived, verse 16. Three days after they made the treaty with the Gibeonites, the Israelites heard that they were neighbors living near them. Ah, somehow they they found out the truth three days later. You're not from a faraway country. You live down the street from us. You live 20 miles away. You're our neighbors. And so the truth came out. The Israelites set out and the third day came to their cities. These are all the the cities that are associated with, with Gibeon and close by. But the Israelites did not attack them because the leaders of the assembly had sworn an oath to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. And so here, uh, these are people that God said completely destroy but now Joshua and the Israelites don't do it. They let them live. 
because they made this treaty with them. Now, you may be thinking like I'm thinking, like, well, is that a legitimate uh, covenant, a legitimate treaty? Because they lied and deceived the Israelites into making that treaty. And what we need to understand is the seriousness of uh, covenant keeping, oath keeping in, in the Old Testament. Um, the Nelson Study Bible says, oath taking covenants were solemn affairs. To take an oath was a sacred, unbreakable word to follow through on what was promised. The covenant could not be revoked even though it was obtained under false pretenses. So what we see as we read the, the rest of the story here is that the, the Israelites are not happy with their leaders. And the, it says the whole assembly grumbled against the leaders. But all the leaders answered, we have given them our oath. We cannot touch them now. This is what we will do. We will let them live so that God's wrath will not fall on us for breaking the oath, the covenant we swore to them. And so the Israelite leaders, even though the people said, hey, that wasn't fair, and 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 they're not happy with the leaders, the leaders said, um, we made an oath, we made a promise before God. And even though there was some deception there, we cannot break that covenant. We cannot break that promise. So what they did, and the old saying is, when life hands you a, a lemon, you're supposed to make lemonade, make the best out of a bad situation. And that's what Israel did. Uh, look at it in verse 21. Here's the silver lining. It says, we're, we're not going to kill them. We're not going to destroy them. We're going to let them live. But here's what we're going to do. Let them be woodcutters and water carriers in the service of the whole assembly. So the leaders made, uh, leaders promise to them was kept. So here's what we'll do. We're not going to kill you, but guess what? You are going to be our servants. And you're going to be woodcutters and water carriers. Now what significance is that? Well, in the worship of Israel, they made lots of sacrifices, didn't they? And a sacrifice and Entails wood on an altar and sacrifices sometimes entailed water and there was ritual cleansing that they had to go through. And so guess what, you guys? You're going you're gonna to be able to live, but you're going to serve us in the tabernacle. And later on through the Old Testament, we read about this group of people uh, in the temple, uh, s- serving in the temple. Hundreds of years later, uh, the Gibeonites uh, served in the temple. Well, Joshua confronts the Gibeonites with the truth in uh, verses 22 and 23. Why did you deceive us by saying we live a long way from you while actually you live near us? You are now under a curse. You will never be released from service as woodcutters and water carriers for the house of my God. And they answered Joshua, your servants were clearly told how the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you the whole land to wipe out all its inhabitants from before you. So we feared for our lives because of this. And this is why we did this, for for self-preservation. We are now in your hands. Do to us whatever seems good and right to you. So Joshua and the Israelites saved the, the, the Gibeonites. They did not kill them. And that day he made the Gibeonites woodcutters and water carriers for the assembly to provide for the needs of the altar at the place the Lord chose. And that 
is what they are to this day. Well, that's the story of uh, the Gibeonites and uh, their their deception of Joshua and the leaders and uh, the treaty that they made under false pretenses, and yet they honored that their word, and they ended up serving God in the tabernacle and in the temple. Well, this morning we want to take about fifteen minutes then to look at some life lessons from from Joshua chapter nine. Um, what what can we learn from this story? What what truths can we learn from Joshua chapter nine that might uh, help us in our journey and walk with God? And we're going to look at three of them. And here's uh, here's the first one: is this <clears throat> we must continually seek God's guidance, direction, and wisdom in our lives. We must continually seek what God's direction, guidance, and wisdom in our lives. What was the what was the mistake of the Israelites in this whole uh, passage? <clears throat> Verse fourteen, they sampled their provisions, but they did not inquire of God. They didn't go to God and say, "God, can can you can you show us what to do? Can you give us some wisdom here? Can you give us some insight here?" And so, uh, we must continually seek God's guidance and wisdom in our lives. As you go through the Old Testament, um, it's really a key point that's made over and over again. Uh, King Saul, the very first king of Israel, God said, you're no longer qualified to be the king because you did not inquire of the Lord. You're not seeking my guidance and wisdom anymore. And so we have to continually seek God's guidance, direction, and wisdom. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding, our, our own thinking, but in all your ways, what? Acknowledge Him and He'll direct your paths. And so how do we seek, find God's guidance, direction, and wisdom? Number one, it starts with prayer, doesn't it? Now there's some things in our life that we don't need to pray about. You didn't need to pray about what clothes should I wear this morning. You know, we don't have to pray, ask God's guidance for that. Just um, blindly go into your closet and pick something out. That's kind of how I do it sometimes. (laughs) You didn't have to pray about should we come to worship and and fellowship with God's people this morning. That's God's clear about that. Don't forsake coming together and encouraging one another. But there are many situations in life where we need God's wisdom. Uh, we need God's direction. And so the first thing is prayer. James 1.5, if anybody lacks wisdom, what are we to do? We're to ask of God who gives to all men liberally, generously. Um, God, God will give you wisdom. How do we seek God's guidance, direction, and wisdom? God's word. Uh, in fact, there's a whole section of the scripture called wisdom literature. Uh, the book of Proverbs is filled with wisdom. Um, the first nine chapters are uh, given in the context of a father talking to a son. He says, get wisdom, get understanding, though it costs all that you have. And then it, all sorts of warnings and, and cautions in life. And so God's word gives us wisdom. 
Psalm 119, 105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. How do we seek and find God's wisdom through prayer, through God's word? Uh, thirdly, I'd say through godly counsel. Proverbs 24, 6, there is safety in a multitude of counselors. And I'm going to insert the word godly counselors because you can go to any uh, source today and get the counsel that you want to hear that will reaffirm what's already in your heart. Uh, what we're looking for is, God, uh, will you show me your truth? And uh, when you have a major decision to make, we need to pray about it. We need to be in the scriptures. And then um, I hope you have some trusted people in your life that you can go to and look for some godly counsel. Can you help me with this? Um, is there anything in Scripture that can shed some light and and the godly counsel? Boy, we got we got seven hours of godly counsel on marriage yesterday from a fellow that's been uh, counseling married couples for thirty nine years. You think he has some wisdom about what what marriage is like and how to help and improve a marriage? Um, so we need to seek godly counsel. Uh, how else does God give us direction? Well, he leads through circumstances too, doesn't he? And that if God is leading us to do something, um, that he'll open doors. Those are circumstances. Paul prayed for open doors in Colossians chapter 4. And God uh, provides through circumstances. And uh, that that sometimes means finances, that God will provide, if this is God's will, then God's going to provide financially for this to happen. So my question to you is, what, what situation are you facing in your life right now where you need God's guidance, counsel, and wisdom? Maybe it's with your finances. Maybe it's in a dating relationship. Maybe it's in marriage. Maybe it's with your children's education. Maybe it's uh, with... Um, a college, a major purchase, where to live, on and on it goes. My question is, are we praying about it? Are we in God's word? Are we seeking godly counsel? Are we sensitive to God's direction of opening and closing doors? The second life lesson is this. And um, if you were here yesterday, uh, Don was on this exact verse. It's really a quote from Ecclesiastes 5.5. 5. It is better not to make a vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. That's the Ecclesiastes. Solomon says, better not to make a promise, a vow, a commitment, than to make a commitment and not follow through with it. And so here are the uh, the Israelites, and even though it was under f- some false pretenses, they were committed, nope. We made this vow, we made this covenant, we made this oath before God, and we are going to keep it. And so they let the uh, Gibeonites live. Now in our culture today, um, there's there's two pendulums, and uh, uh, we actually live in a culture where people don't want to make any commitments. <laughs> you know, they, they don't want any, like, any commitments that's going to cost us anything, and so I just want to keep all my options open, and I don't want to make any commitments. And uh, so then there's the pendulum on the other side of overcommitted, and what I'm saying is uh, we need to be balanced in somewhere in the middle. 
that there are certain things that are, are worthy of our commitment, of our time, our talent, and our treasure. And so Solomon says, better not to make a vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. Well, um, what vows do we make today? Uh, we make um, wedding vows. Uh, some of us, most of us, at one point in time, stood in front of a church and in front of God and made a vow for better or for worse, for richer or for poor, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. We make that vow in the, in the presence of, of God. And uh, the Scriptures says better to not make a vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. Um, other vows, um, church membership is a, is a vow, is a commitment. And uh, that's something that's not very popular today. And uh, sometimes people say, well, um, can you show me a verse in the Bible that says I need to be a member of the church? And uh, there, to my knowledge, there is not one. But church membership uh, helps us uh, organizationally as a church, and it's a step of commitment to a local body of believers. And so let me remind those of us that have taken that step. Uh, I looked up our church covenant, and uh, let me read part of it. And at the top is Second Chronicles fifteen twelve. This is a verse that has to do with the revival that's taking place under King uh, Asa, uh, king of Judah. They entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and with all their soul. So their covenant was, we're going to seek God with all our heart, uh, love him with all our heart, mind, and soul, and being. And so here's our covenant. I'm abbreviating some of it. Uh, we recognize Jesus Christ as the Son of God, the Savior of mankind. We do solemnly covenant with each other and pledge that we will walk together in brotherly love as becomes members of a church. So we're going to, we're going to love each other. We're going to exercise affectionate, caring, loving watchfulness for one another. We will live honestly in the world as befitting those who have voluntarily declared their allegiance to Christ. We're going to have integrity in our lives. We will regularly support the work of the church throughout the world by systematic contributions of, of money and consecrated service, our, our talents and our treasure. Uh, goes on to say, we'll welcome those into our fellowship who desire to acknowledge Christ as their Savior and Lord who will sincerely undertake to keep the obligations of this covenant. Well, we probably need to read that every now and then, remind ourselves, this is, this is what we're promising. We're going to love each other. We're going to support our church. We're going to care for one another. We're going to serve together. Better not to make a vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. I think it relates to our finances. Uh, when, when we make a financial uh, purchase on a, on a mortgage or on a car or put something on credit, guess what? We sign our name. That is an obligation. Uh, I'm old-fashioned enough to believe that if you take out a loan, you should repay it. <laughs> that's what that's, makes sense. That's what God says. Uh, we need to be people of our word with our financial commitments. How about just with our words and promises? A Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5.37, Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Be a person whose word is your bond. 
And when you say you're going to do something, when you say you're going to be there, uh, follow through. And yes, things come up and sometimes we have to um, make alternative plans. But um, let's be people of our word. We make promises. Let's fulfill them. Lastly, and then we'll finish with this, life lesson number three. We must constantly be aware or on guard about being deceived. So if Joshua, the leader of the nation of Israel, of two million people, and all the leadership was deceived, um, we need to be careful that we're not deceived. And I want to talk to us about deception in the realm of spiritual deception, It's one thing to be deceived out of some money or make a a bad purchase, but the stakes are higher when we're deceived spiritually. We must constantly be aware about being deceived. Ephesians 6.11, that passage about the armor of God, talks about uh, the, the wiles. The King James Version says the wiles of the devil. The Greek word is methodia. He's like, I want you to be aware of the methods of Satan. I want you to be aware of how Satan works. Well, how does Satan work? Well, someone once said, every time he opens his mouth, he's lying. And that's basically true in Scripture. <laughs> how can you tell when Satan's lying when he's moving his lips? Uh, he, he's called the father of all lies. And so Satan operates on lies. He's called the great deceiver in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. His methods haven't changed since the beginning of time. How did we get into the mess we're in today with uh, uh, what the world is? It's because of a choice that Adam and Eve made. And uh, here comes uh, uh, Satan in the form of a serpent. And first of all, he begins to question, has God really said this to you? And uh, the, the scriptures tell us that um, Adam wasn't deceived, but Eve was deceived. She was deceived. As the serpent said, when you take of this fruit, your eyes will be opened and, and you'll be like God. And she was deceived and she took of the fruit and even worse, Adam willingly, knowingly did it. And that all happened because of deception. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 11 verses 13 and 14 gives us a warning about the deception of false teachers. And uh, that's something that hasn't changed in the last uh, 2,000 years, that there are, are teachers uh, today, many of them in the name of Christianity, in the name of God, who um, uh, teach and preach, but it's not truth. And Paul warned uh, the Corinthian believers uh, about that in Second Corinthians 11. Such people are false apostles, deceitful workers masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. Satan himself deceives people as an angel of of light. And so we must constantly be aware of Satan's methods and be on guard against deception in our life. And there's a day coming, a future day coming, and the scriptures talk about it in Revelation, and they talk about it in Second Thessalonians. Uh, there's a future day coming when the whole world's going to be deceived. And a man's going to come on the scene. He's going to be known as the lawless one, also known as the Antichrist. And he's going to come and 
pretend like he has the solution to all the world's problems and he's going to set himself up as being the, the one world leader and people will be deceived. Let me read it to you. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. The context is the coming of Christ. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day, the coming of Christ, his second coming will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. So there's a future day coming when a world leader is going to come on the scene. He's going to say, I've got the answer to all my problems. He's actually going to set himself up in the in Jerusalem, and people are going to worship worship him. Uh, verse 9, the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie and all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. So he'll, he'll deceive uh, people in the end times. That's the lawless one. That's the Antichrist. We must be on guard against being deceived, and that's uh, Satan's um, methodology of lies and deception. Uh, secondly, I want to say we can also deceive ourselves, can't we? And the worst spiritual deception has to be with has to do with our salvation. In Matthew chapter seven, verse twenty-one says, "In that judgment day." There are people that are going to say, Lord, Lord, uh, we did great works in your name and we did this and this for you. And God's going to say, uh, depart from me. I never knew you. It's not about works. It's about having a personal relationship with Jesus. And there will be people that will be deceived that think they're going to heaven because they did good works. And God's going to say, I never knew you. We can be deceived as believers. James chapter 1, when it comes to our exposure to God's Word, James chapter 1, verse 22, very, very familiar uh, verse, if I can find James. Here it is. Do not merely listen to the Word. (laughs) James can't be any clearer. Don't just listen to God's Word. And so, what? Deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And so what's our self-deception that can happen so many times is that we listen to God's Word, we read God's Word, and it just stays right there. I've got, I've got more head knowledge, but what? We never, what? Never put it into practice. And James says, when you do that, you're kidding yourself. You're deceiving yourselves. I found it interesting yesterday that Don and all of his wisdom and knowledge and about couples and marriage and relationships. And he talked about, um, touched on the area of couples' devotions and praying together. Now he says, that's a good thing, but he says, that's not a magic formula. He says, I, I know couples that pray together and read God's word together and, and their lives are in shambles and their, their, their relationship is not good. Why? Because it never transforms them. And God's word is always given, not for head knowledge, but so that what we will be conformed to the image of Jesus. 
And so if we're just reading God's Word, and well, you know, that's nice, and it just stays as head knowledge, and it never, never changes us from the inside out, James says, you're deceiving yourself. You need to put it into practice. Boy, we all have... Uh, we we'll have blind spots in our lives. And uh, wise is the person that has some people close enough to them that would have the courage to come to them and say, hey, um, you know, maybe, maybe this is uh, something we need to talk about. Um, we can easily be self-deceived in our life. We could go on and on here. The Bible says uh, money can deceive us. Uh, the parable of the sower and God's word is a seed and it gets planted and what happens? The deceitfulness of riches chokes out God's word. And wealth, Jesus says it's, it's harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to go to heaven. Why? Because the wealth says, who needs God? I've got everything I need. And that's why it's hard for wealthy people to humble themselves and become like a child and receive the gospel message. Well, the best way to protect against deception is to know the truth. And I don't know if they still do this today. I've got a couple sons that are in the banking industry, but they used to tell uh, show tellers, uh, you know, how to detect counterfeit bills. And the training is just study the real thing. And if you know the authentic bill, then you're going to be able to detect all the other counterfeits that are out there. And uh, that's the best advice I could give. Uh, get into God's word. Know the truth. And the truth will keep us from being deceived. And the truth will set us free. Let's pray together. Lord, Satan uh, is alive and well on planet Earth. And Lord, there are so many uh, other things we could say today about how he wants to deceive us. To deceive us into thinking we can live the Christian life apart from others and community. Lord, there, there's so many things that we could say today, but Lord, I pray that you would help us to um, walk into your word and help us to study it, uh, help us to know the truth so that when these... Um, Attacks come when the deceitfulness of Satan comes, our own uh, thinking, Lord, that you will show us the truth. And Lord, help us not just to be hearers of your word, but let it change us, let it transform us, and help us to live it out. And we will thank you and give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.